seeing my old buddy Steve Reno on TV last couple of yeah yeah I can bring that in there good old Steve truly funny man hello there yeah yeah very good very good excellent oh I'm sorry to report to any of you out there while we missed this thing on the way past the cigar store there uh, we were just told there's a report from uh, AP. It says the Navy has been told that 90% of its warships are infested with cockroaches. And uh, <laughs> somehow I like the idea of a sea-going cockroach. And the lieutenant said that 90% of the country's warship suffers from some type of infestation. And not only cockroaches, but, uh, and we quote here, bedbugs, crab lice, and even rats. Sad story. <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, not really so sad. It's only... Hey, uh, Herb, are you ready in there? You all set in there? Well, before we do anything, uh, I, I was sitting tonight uh, in this uh, in this Chinese restaurant with uh, with Jerry, my uh, my fellow victim, and uh, and I don't know what made me think of it. We got talking about we. Uh, you don't mind if I do a show tonight? That's uh, that's. Um, well, it could very well cause uh, unsettling problems. Don't go away, Herb. Now, now you stay right there because this is this relates to you. All right, you're going. Okay. Uh, how many of you remember the Rheingold Rest? Any of you remember the Rheingold Rest, Mr. Gillis? Do you remember? You don't remember the Rheingold Rest? Who was the bartender at the Rheingold Rest? You don't remember. How is it everybody remembers Marv Throneberry and they don't remember the Rheingold Rest? Well, I'll, I'll award a brass figligee with a bronze oak leaf palm with aluminum cluster for rising above the muck and the mire of uh, ordinary uh, listenerdom. Uh, for any of you who can tell me, who was the bartender of the Rheingold Rest? All right. <laughs> Well, well, now we're beating to, we're going to separate the sheep from the goats tonight now. And, uh, I mean, after all, it ain't easy being a goat. Uh, you know how goats are. And, oh, they smell. Oh, bad news. Well, uh, on the other hand, so do sheep. So I suppose, you know, six of one half is the other. You can't really push it too much. But uh, uh, we will award the brass figligee with bronze oak leaf palm. I, w I just want to make sure that we have real people tonight out there with us. Real people. Who was the bartender in the Rheingold Rest. All right, I'll ask you another question, very similar in that. What was the most celebrated number change that occurred on the back of a ball player, in this case a New York Met, when a, when a player joined the Mets, he demanded his old number, the number which he had worn for years, and another ball player was forced to give up his number. And uh, he did. And uh, who was the who was the the two play who are the two players, Herb? And what was the number involved? You don't know that either. Well, what kind of a historian are you about our time? Not one person knows. Why do I know all this? Richie Ashburn. What's that say? Richie Ashburn. What? There were no Mets before he joined them. Richie was one of the original Mets. <laughs> 
He was one of the original Mets. Hey, uh, listen, uh, we've been getting all kinds of uh, letters from people. I'll just let you th- uh, soak out there and think about that. Uh, all right, I'll ask you another question now, if, as long as we're getting into this type of thing. You know, true... Yes, yes. Hold it up, Jerry. Yes, very good. Yes, very good. Walter Pigeon was the original bartender in the Rheingold Rest. And uh, what was the Rheingold Rest? Do any of you know? Well, uh, this is all part of the Americana. This is part of our time, part of our life. It's these little bits and pieces of, of daily electronic Americana cling to us like uh, like barnacles, like little, little pieces of... Uh, of electronic crud, uh, electronic uh, uh, dandruff that you can't really get out. You know immediately when you see it. Uh, you know the. Ele- In fact, uh, when the when the Rheingold rest. Here's the way the Rheingold rest worked. I'll give you a clue. The Rheingold rest usually occurred between innings of the Mets game, and uh, Lindsey Nelson would in those days say, "Well, there it is, folks. It's the end of the third inning." Uh, the Mets are training the Philadelphia Phillies 12 to 3 at the end of the third inning. And, uh, Roger Craig is beginning to get, uh, right in the groove now. Uh, the Mets 12, or rather the Mets 3, the Philadelphia Phillies 12. And now let's drop into the Wrangle Rest for a minute. And there would be a, a scene that would, uh, open up and it were done live. That's what I dug. You know, they don't do live commercials anymore. There would be a scene, Herb, where the, uh, this bar, and glasses are tinkling. And uh, the bartender would say, Well, welcome to the Rheingold Rest. Uh, that certainly was an exciting inning, wasn't it? Who would have thought that a third baseman could make seven errors on one play? They'd refer to the game, see? He'd say, Who would have thought that, uh, <laughs> that a, a, a third baseman could make seven errors on one play? Behind George, certainly. But we're going to come back and get him. Yes, sir. Well, now it's time for a glass of good old Rheingold. And uh, who was that guy? He became quite famous at the, for a time. In fact, he was the only celebrity connected with the Mets for a while. Uh, uh, you know, this this kind of thing, you just can't shove, uh, shove it off to one side. You can't slough it off. You, know, you just can't. Uh, fame is a fleeting thing. And when one has this fleeting thing, one must grasp it. Grasp it by the handles. By the way, speaking of fame, I'll tell you. This, this, is, this is what makes writing worthwhile. You, you, listen to this now. I just got a letter... Uh, an envelope with a Samoan stamp on it. Now, it's not very often that a guy gets a letter from Samoa, you know, and you ought to see what the Samoan stamp looks like. Boy, talk about exotic. It fills my old, uh, uh, again, it, it fits in my old uh, my old theory that the more spectacular the stamps get, the tinier and the, the poorer and the sadder and the the uh, more depilitated the land. <laughs> And, and the Samoan stamp, I'll tell you, it comes looks like a medieval tapestry. You know, it weighs about four pounds. It's about three or four inches wide and about six inches deep and has gold lace on it. And, you know, it's Samoa. Well, in the Samoan letter was a card. And the card says nothing. The guy doesn't even sign his name. It's just, a, and it's authentic. It comes from Samoa. It says, coming in on Polynesian Airways, beautiful DC-3, I couldn't help but notice the stewardess kept ducking into a window seat. The book, Wanda Hickey's, none other. Isn't it kind of groovy to know that the stewardess on the Polynesian DC-3 going into Samoa was reading Wanda Hickey's Night of Gold? Oh, that's a great feeling. All right, now, since I'm the only one who remembers the the uh, bartender, the Rheingold Rest, and uh, here, here he's holding it up. Uh, uh, <laughs> 
No, no. See, everybody's wrong. They keep going to Ken Boyer, Ed Cranepool, Bob Stewart. No, no. No, no, you're wrong. A, I'll give you a clue. The, the player who came to the Mets, who demanded his own number, is an obvious Hall of Fame candidate member. He really is. He'll be a Hall of Famer in a couple of years. And when he came to the Mets, of course, it was at the end of a long and illustrious career. And he had worn the same number for many years. And so when he joined the Mets, they took his number from another player who had worn that same number from his first day as a rookie ball player. And they gave it to this guy because it was his number. Who was the player and what was the number? They're all trying to think about it out there. You know, uh, the other night, uh, the other night, do you, do you have a... The other night we were... We were uh, we were playing around with commercials. You know, that's a whole new thing, people collecting commercials. And I was amazed that, that uh, we did a show here a couple of nights ago about the whole world of the commercial, which most people don't know about. I've never seen much written in TV Guide or anything about what it's really like to be in the world of commercials. And for a long time, uh, I've made commercials, uh, all kinds of commercials, which rarely play in New York. I wonder how many people know that commercials are done for various regions, and they can be very big in one region, and never play in another region because of one thing and another. You know, the, the product is not sold, but maybe nationwide. Or perhaps they've got a different camp. Even if it's a nationwide product, they have a different campaign in different parts of the country because different parts of the country have different problems, you know. Uh, the, for example, many cars that are sold on the premise that they can climb mountains would not really make much, cut much ice here in, say, Jersey. And if you lived in, a, say, a place like Boulder, Colorado, a car that climbs mountains would be kind of good, you know, groovy. Now, uh, in fact, right now at this point, I, I just was reminded of that. I got a letter from somebody, and they wrote about, they, they mentioned in the letter, they said, Hey, Shepard, for crying out loud, there's a guy really copying your style, man. There's a guy that's all over television out in the Midwest on this commercial. And he said, really, boy, and the, the way the letter was written, says, look out, Shepard, he's going to come east, and man, he's going to give you trouble. This guy's really funny. He's copying your style. Well, it, he didn't know, because there, my name is not on it. He didn't know that it was me. And I had done, I'd done a whole series of commercials for the Sun-Times, which Chicago paper, that are on TV all over out in the Midwest. And that's a, that's a big thing. And, and since that is among performers, where everybody does commercials from Henry Fonda on up and down, yeah, what's that? There, finally somebody got it. Stop calling. Somebody got it. Somebody got it. Cut it out. Cut it out. Somebody got it. No, no. Uh, no more calls. Just hang up. Tell them, tell them they, they're too late. They're too late. They're too late. They're too late. This is a player that joined the Mets, and uh, they gave him his number back, and it was, uh, yeah, they, they're too late. Tell them it's too late. Hang up. Come on, Jerry. Don't, don't palaver with him. It's too bad. He missed it. You're right, friends. You're right. The, the player was Al Weiss and uh, had a long and illustrious career, and they took his number, which was number 67. And uh, <laughs> no, I'll just let you think about that out there. I won't even tell you who it was. That'll drive the Met fans up the wall. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, this whole idea of commercials, I have to get back to that because. A lot of kids, and this is something, I got a call from the Wall Street Journal. They wanted to know about this. They heard about it on the show, and they wanted to know, and it's an underground sport, and that's collecting commercials. Now, I wonder how many of you guys know the, the, the sport of collecting regional commercials. 
regional commercials. Now, that's very in interesting. In other words, commercials uh, that are played in different parts of the re country that are not played in this part of the country. Before we go any further, this is WOR New York. And uh, please, uh, Mr. Uh, there you are, Herb, hit the dinger. Coming through. Plymouth Duster for 72. Just small enough, just big enough to be just right for you. Maybe that's why Duster is the best-selling compact in this area. It's the kind of car America wants. Now at America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Maybe we're number one because you're number one with us. You have made us first place dealers throughout all the USA. Cause in Chrysler Plymouth sales we lead the way. With our guys you'll be a winner, number one in every way. That's the kind of dealer America wants today. Chrysler Plymouth, coming through. See America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Act now while the price freeze is still on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like I said, it's a WOR New York, and we're here fighting our way. You got another thing in there for me, Herb? Yeah, yeah, hit it over there, Herb. Hit it, yeah. Pursued, driven, pursued from pillar to post by women, women, women. Hold it, hold it, hold it. What was that for crying out loud? All right, all right, uh, hold it in there a minute. Now, uh, you got General Tire, Herb. <laughs> let's, let's give it a, pu a cushion here. Give me the General Tire. I have an opening here. It says, need tires for winter? Don't miss General Tire's great mix or match offer. Yeah. Here's the story. Mix or match the Jet Air 3, General's best four-ply nylon cord tire, and the winter cleat, General's rugged four-ply nylon cord snow tire. Your choice at two for $38, four for $76, size 650 13 tubeless black wall, plus 176 federal excise tax per tire. White walls are only $3 more each. Larger sizes are also placed in mixer match sets. What a commercial. Don't forget, don't miss this great mixer match tire offer this month. Drive in at the big red General Tire G sign near your home. Yeah. Boy, this is big time. You can tell we're getting close to Christmas, all these commercials. Let's see. What do you got in there, Herb? Hit it, yeah. Hit it. I'll drop you at home, Sally. Oh, good. By the way, do you like your new Edsel? It's marvelous. I've been driving it for a month, and I haven't put a drop of gas in. Confidentially, her husband buys the gas. But the 1959 Edsel does have an eye-opening economy story, and this is John Cameron Swayze with the facts. First, Edsel is built to be the most distinctive car on the road. Yet it's priced with Plymouth, Chevrolet, and Ford in the popular price field. So you get extra economy when you buy Edsel because you get more for your money. More size, more room, more comfort. More solid value for every dollar you invest. Second, you get extra economy when you drive Edsel. You choose from four engines that include three V8s and a thrifty six. So if you are tired of paying too much for look-alike cars, see the distinctive new Edsel at your Edsel dealers soon. You'll also find the all-new 1959 Edsel at many Mercury dealers. Yeah, that's very nice. Uh, hey, listen, uh, I'd like to award a Figliggy here, too, if I may. Brass type. 
with Bronze Oak Leaf Cluster. And before we go any further, I'd like to make a, a couple of quick sp- announcements here. Very official type. Uh, about Bloomfield College, yeah, this Saturday. Uh, we've had a lot of letters about it, so here's the story. I can't answer the mail, but we can tell you on the air live. This Saturday, October 16th, that's this Saturday, I'm going to be wearing my big speckled bird suit and flapping around the stage in person at Bloomfield College. That's in the gym there, which has seen many other disasters, I'm sure. In Bloomfield, New Jersey, that's Bloomfield College, and the time, of course, is 8 p.m. 8 p.m. this Saturday in Jersey, in Bloomfield College. And it's, in, of course, Bloomfield, New Jersey, in the gym. If you want ticket information, don't call a station for crying out. Bell Armor doesn't know. Uh, <laughs> really, in spades. For ticket information, call area code 201, area code 201-748-9000. And incidentally, to kill two birds with one stone, uh, I'm going to be at the Bloomfield College bookstore in Knox Hall, between 3 and 5 p.m., that's that afternoon, the 16th, that's next Saturday, and we're going to be autographing Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories. If you missed any of the other book signings, we'll be there. And by the way, one more addenda to this, for those of you who live out in the island and that and have been writing about how come we're not on the island or here in the village or any place in Manhattan, we're going to start a whole series of signings in a couple of weeks, right, out there. Now listen, one more thing I have to, listening to these uh, these uh, commercial trivias. How many of you know, is there anybody out there that can tell me there's a sad sign somewhere out, uh, it's out somewhere in Connecticut I saw here a couple of weeks ago. I'm driving way out in the country in Connecticut someplace. And there's a sign with all kinds of weeds all around it. And, you know, it's a bigger signboard there, see. And it's an old ad, a sign, a billboard, that says, suddenly... It's 1960. <laughs> and there it is. It's standing there. See? And I, I, I drove past this thing. It's just like it's like living a, a living artifact. I mean, you know, 1960. Think of the things that's happened since those days. I mean, Kennedy, uh, the, the two Kennedys, riot, war, oh, everything. The, the, a guy reading that sign in the days when it was really an operating sign had never even heard of Vietnam, most people, you know. Everything. It's fantastic what's happened in a decade. And there's that old sign standing there amid the weeds. It says, suddenly it's 1960. Now, who had that slogan? It's a big ad campaign. Who was it? Who? Very good. That is correct. That is correct. Very good. It's excellent. That's right. That was, uh, you're right, that was a Carnation Milk had that. Very good. Had a 1960 model cow standing there, which was much more contented than the earlier cows, you know. Uh, you know, with the use of sedatives and one thing. Now, this cow looked so moony and contented, it was unbelievable. But uh, <laughs> who was it who said that, all right? It will award a brass thing there. And you know, it's funny, huh? the number of people who, who, who measure their lives by various products. Uh, yeah, they, they really do. Uh, when I was a kid, guys used to judge various uh, big moments in their life by what they owned at the time. And I remember big arguments going on in the kitchen, you know, Michael Krause arguing with Uncle Fred. And one of them said, no, come on, that was, that was when I had, no, listen, that's not true. That was when I had, that was when I had the Chevy. Now I know that because I had the Chevy then. 
And that was that measure the moment in his life when he had the Chevy. Uh, and, and, and this, he didn't, he didn't relate it to things like in the, in the family. No, that was the time that Arlene, yeah, her, her head got caught in the ringer. No, not at all. Uh, he, he remembered things by the car he owned at the time. And so many of us, whether we know it or not, I think, I think the brand names, various things are so involved in our lives that even though you reject commercials, you say, oh, I don't listen to commercials, those are ridiculous, uh, power structure, blah, 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 blah. The, the facts of the matter are that, you're, you, that you're, your whole being is saturated with, with thousands of various brand names that float around in there, and they're as familiar to you as any other name in your life, maybe more so. So when I say Wheaties, this, this, it would it, be impossible to find anybody really in America who doesn't know what the word Wheaties means, just Wheaties. <laughs> <laughs> Wheaties, yeah. What do Wheaties contain? Super G, right? Okay. The breakfast of? Correct. Uh, you can just fill it right in there. Uh, who who uh, who hasn't... Uh, what do they have on the package? A very famous uh, picture on the package, as long as I can remember. I understand it's now changed. But what, what do they have on the package of uh, shredded wheat? That's correct. And what is shot from guns? That is correct. That is absolutely correct. Uh, <laughs> and now these these things are are uh, you know they're, they're so much part of our our life you don't even think about it you know. Uh, who is Elsie connected with? Elsie, huh? And what? What? That's right. Uh, has, have any of you ever heard of Elmer? No, not glue. That's quite true, Elmer's glue. But who is Elmer connected with, really? By marriage. You mean to tell me you have not ever related Elmer to Elsie? Elmer, in the original ad campaign, was Elsie's very, very virile husband. You didn't know that, did you? Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll I'll ask. You know these these things go on. Uh, uh, there's no way to get out of it. Uh, there's no no conceivable. How about? I wonder how much uh, Colonel Saunders' chicken, or the success of it, is due to the old Colonel's face. Uh, yeah. He just he. You know that's right. It, it Colonel Saunders. Uh, what uh, what 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 famous product? And uh, this is something probably most of you don't even... What is as smooth as a baby's skin? All right, we'll let you think about that. What floats? Mm-hmm. What's 99 and 44, 100% pure? That is correct. <laughs> everybody, you notice how everybody answers this. Uh, hardly anybody can't get... Uh, they can get less than the 100 on that. Because this is what I'm trying to prove here, that, that we are so... In, uh, the brand names are so much part of our lives, you just all nod, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? Uh, uh, who, who, is, who, who deals with the white tornado constantly? Who is the white tornado involved with? Okay, very good. And then uh, who does the lady plumber work for? You know? Who is the blue pad? Which one is the pink pad? <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so, but you know, I've done so many commercials in my time. I'm talking about transcribed ones I heard across the country, both TV and radio. Now, the TV shows, the commercials I'm talking about are live on camera type things, which are rarely seen here. They're all a big thing, big regular campaign out in the Midwest. Now, do you want to hear a commercial here? That uh, this was a regional commercial. I don't think it was played in this area. One of the most uh, esoteric sides of the commercial collecting field is the field of movie commercials. Now, every movie that you see on, uh, you know, late, late movie, when you see these old films appear, there was a whole campaign that was created to promote that movie. Now, most people don't think much about that, but the, it's a whole thing. The guy that turned out the posters, the guy that turned out the trailers, the guy that turned out the, the uh, transcribed radio spots across the country, the guy that turned out... This is a whole industry, you know, right here in New York. Incidentally, that, that industry is based here in New York. The movies are made all over the world, most of them right in Hollywood. But there's a whole industry just two blocks away from where I'm sitting right now that does nothing but produce trailers for movies. They produce the posters... They produce all of it. What was that? Oh, yes. How was Kellogg's Pep promoted? Well, uh, how? You tell me. I'll tell you this. What goes snap, crackle, and pop? <laughs> all right. Everybody knows these things. You can't. You can't get around it. You know. Uh, who was it? What? Who was it that was always the, the the product had this catch line? She's lovely. She's engaged. She uses, what is it that men of, distinct, men of distinction use? Don't you remember the Men of Distinction campaign? Well, these, these campaigns just never, uh, what is so rich, so round, so fully packed? So rich, so round, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. <laughs> but these just a phrase, you know, will automatically set you off. Uh, now, here is a commercial. Get your tape recorder set if you want to hear a collector's item. I have a whole collection of commercials that played all across the country that I personally made that were, you know, national spots and so forth. Now, I don't know whether this spot was ever heard here in New York. I think it was. But this is for a movie which is probably about to appear on Late Late Pictures. Now, now, listen carefully to this spot and see if you can remember the movie. Okay. Pursued, driven, pursued from pillar to post by women, women, women everywhere. By psychiatrists, by psychiatrist wives, by Zafik Russian physical therapists. Women everywhere. It's Sean Connery in a fine madness who only wanted truth, who only wanted beauty, but find a heck of a lot more. It's Sean Connery in a fine madness. How will it end? Is he a nut or is he a good guy? Which way will it go? It's in Technicolor. It's Warner Brothers. It's Sean Connery. It's a fine madness. Oh, wow. Wow. How'd you like that? Everybody dug that. Now, that was, that's fine, wasn't it? Uh, you have another cut in there? They're all different. Uh, this, this movie, uh, you might remember the movie. Do you recall the movie? Uh, I, I probably never mentioned this. Uh, certainly I know at the time I didn't mention it, but I was also the technical, I was a technical advisor on that movie. Uh, Warner Brothers contacted me because I've spent most of my adult life, it seems, living in and around the village and the whole scene. I was called in as a technical advisor 
uh, on the village. It was shot largely in the East Village at that time. The East Village was not uh, particularly fashionable. It was shot over on 2nd Avenue. Now, uh, do you want to hear another cut of that particular series? These were all different, and this was a, a series of commercials that played all across the country. I don't know whether they played here in New York. I don't recall. Did you ever hear them before? All right, let's listen to this one now. Oh, life is full of dangers. First, you're chased onto a couch by this fantastic secretary against your will. And what happens? They <laughs> fire you. <laughs> and then you go to psychiatrist's office. And the psychiatrist's wife chases you into a ripple bath. She chases you into a ripple bath. And then what happens? They call you a nut. Oh, wow. Oh, it's pillar to post. Danger after danger. And especially if you're Sean Connery, it's trouble all the way. It's women all the way. And they call him a nut. They call Sean Connery a nut because they can't leave him alone? Oh, oh boy. You should have such a dangerous life. Sean Connery in a fine madness in Technicolor. Warner Brothers. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Do you like those? Those, uh, uh, of course, uh, the, the, there's two schools of, of, of movie commercial. There's the, there's the, you might call it the creative, off-the-wall, wacky type school, which they always refer to in that business as wacky. Anything that isn't conventional is called wacky. Then there's the other type of commercial, which is uh, the one that you most generally hear, uh, the one that says, once in a generation, the motion picture, you know, that kind. Well, now... At that time, there were a lot of movies coming out all over the country, and, and the, the, some of them uh, were imported. Now, most of the time, when you do a commercial for a, a film, uh, you don't even see the film at all. You just call in, and they talk to you about the commercial and what they want, and give you an idea. Now, I had happened to have seen, and I knew about the making of this particular movie, uh, which was A Fine Madness. You remember the picture? Fine picture, too. Very funny. I think it was one of the best things that Connery ever did. Now, uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, sometimes you'll do, a, a, a <laughs> you'll do the commercial for a movie that turns out to be a total dog, which reads well on paper. You think it's going to be a great picture. Do you have the, fo uh, the Full Manchu thing? Okay. Now, I was called in, and we, we, I saw just a few selected cuts from this picture. Had I seen the whole picture, I doubt very much whether I would have done the commercials. Uh, but this, this was a series that was done for a Fu Manchu picture which played a few years back. And uh, got your tape recorder going. Here's another collector's item. Time stood still. No one even dared to breathe. There was a hint of rain in the air. The sun hung like an old copper penny high in the sky. There was a brief pause. The executioner's axe rose high, high, and then fell. Is it possible to destroy evil? Is it possible to kill death itself? <laughs> Dr. Fu Manchu's head rolled into the basket. Or did it? See... The Face of Fu Manchu in Technicolor, a Seven Arts Pictures release. Now, I don't have to tell you that I wrote those myself. <laughs> I did. 
uh, I was called in. They asked me to write the commercials, do whatever I wanted, which is very rare in that field. And so I wrote these commercials, and these are played all across the country. Again, I'm not sure whether they played here in New York. I don't know whether they did. I know they played all across the country. Can you give me another one of those Fu Manchu cuts? These are beautiful commercials. So get your tape recorder going here. You can recognize the Shepherd Touch, can't you? Their car, hurtling at breakneck speed. Galen Smith and Dr. Petrie were just seconds from capturing their lifelong arch enemy, the insidious master of evil, Dr. Fu Manchu. Closer and closer and closer they crept inch by inch, when suddenly, high overhead, a tiny aircraft appeared, and then... <laughs> Dr. Fumanchu had struck again! See the face of Fu Manchu in Technicolor, a Seven Arts Pictures release. <laughs> oh, these these uh, <laughs> these are little tiny thirty-second uh, slices of uh, non-life. Uh, <laughs> and and what set this all off was a letter I got from some kid. He said, "Boy, he said he collects movie commercials." And he said, "I never heard anything like those Fu Manchu commercials you did." And he was one of the few kids, you know, one of the few collectors I know who knows about these commercials. So I thought I'd play them on the air just because you know it's obviously not a commercial. Uh, you're not going to go out and rush out and see this turkey. Now, is, you have another one in there? You know, one of the guys wrote me later, uh, one of the uh, people who heard the commercials and also saw the movie, said, my God, he says they could have done away with the movie and had your commercials on the screen. He said they've been fantastic. Let's hear another one. The loathsome claw-like hand with its single sharpened six-inch fingernail played lovingly with the silver valve handle. A beautiful oriental girl was placed inside the sealed glass chamber. A maniacal laugh rent the silence, and that evil hand slowly turned the valve, and then... The murky, dirty waters of the Thames filled the chamber. The body convulsed for just an instant, and the sinister minister of fear, Dr. Pumanchu, had killed again. Nalen Smith and Dr. Petrie gasped in horror. And so would you. See the face of Fu Manchu in Technicolor, a Seven Arts Pictures release. How'd you like that one? <laughs> How many more you got in there? These, these, these are collector's items. They're, uh, you got any more? How many, how many are on that disc? I think I did about ten. All of these were, were written and produced and created and and uh, the the uh, company that called me and says, "Look, uh, just go, do whatever you want to do with these things." And it, what with the picture, they they gave me total carte blanche, which is highly unusual in the uh, commercial world. And so that's what I did. I just had a <laughs> had a ball in the studio one day and produced these these fantastic uh, thumbnail vignettes. All right, here's another one. Evil spread like a green fog, slowly, slowly encompassing the world like some ancient fallout from an old god's atomic explosion of death. And two men, just two mortal men, stood on the barricades, protecting all of Western civilization. (laughs) 
Malin Smith of Scotland Yard, Dr. Petrie, stood facing Fu Manchu alone. What do we owe them today? See the face of Fu Manchu and find out. See the face of Fu Manchu. In Technicolor. I kind of like... Seven Arts Pictures release. I kind of like the idea of two men standing alone in the barricades facing Fu Manchu. And we, the whole world, owe them a fantastic death. Uh, are you enjoying these, Herb? This, uh... This, the, I, 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 I just remember doing these things. It was so much fun doing them. And when, when this kid wrote me a note saying that he had these on tape, he said he recorded them someplace out of town. And he said he would sit there by the hour and wait for different ones to come up. You know, they only play one at a time. It, it, he said it took him something like oh, a week or two weeks to record the entire series. Which, uh, and I, you know, I don't know how he knew he had the whole series, but he claims he thought he did. So here's another one. Oh, it's a beauty. It was precisely midnight as Naaman Smith and Dr. Petrie of Scotland Yard entered the ancient churchyard of St. Paul's deep in the heart of Limehouse one of the old, old, sinister sections of London. Their vitals were gripped by a fear that few men ever know in their lifetimes. They were getting closer and closer and closer to their quarry. Nayland Smith, carrying a Tibetan murder scarf, looked about him. He knew, he but... sensed the evil genius. It was in the air. He knew he was near. And then... Suddenly, a tomb swung open... And the two men gasp in horror because... Out of the darkness leered the sinister face of Fu Manchu. See the face of Fu Manchu in Technicolor, a Seven Arts Pictures release. I kind of like the idea of Fu Manchu coming out of a tomb in Limehouse, and he was carrying a Tibetan murder scarf. <laughs> Uh, incidentally, none of those things were in the uh, were in the film. Uh, the face coming out of the tomb was, but the Tibetan murder scarf was uh, the product of a diseased brain. Now, uh, how many more do you have on that side? Two more. All right, let's hear the hear the, let's hear the next two. As you remember, as we left our last episode, Doctor Fu Manchu was seated at a microphone. He pressed the transmitter button and began to speak. Attention, world! This is Dr. Fu Manchu. Today, 10,000 people died. Tomorrow, there will be more. See the face of Fu Manchu in Technicolor, a Seven Arts Pictures release. I kind of like pressing a button and saying, Attention, world. <laughs> That's Fu Manchu. Uh, here's the last one of this uh, eminently forgettable series. And uh, I think I think these uh, these things I've often felt. In fact, I, I still do feel that that ultimately, by the 21st century, people will collect the commercials of our time as a, a kind of compendium of the hopes and the fears and the the really uh, the pop uh, the pop culture of our day. It's far more universal and certainly rings far more bells than any rock does, and everybody somehow relates to it. Here's the last one in this uh, forgettable series. 
their car, hurtling at breakneck speed. Nayland Smith and Dr. Petrie were just seconds from capturing their lifelong arch enemy. Well, I think you played that one before. Of this evil, is one of my favorites. Dr. When suddenly, high overhead, yeah. a tiny aircraft appeared. And then... See? The face of Fu oh, Manchu yeah. that's in a, Technicolor. That's a 30-second version of the other one, which was longer. But can you imagine Dr. Fu Manchu bombing uh, C. Nayland Smith and Dr. Petrie with an atom bomb because they're after him? Let's see. Do we have one time for one more of the fine madness? Uh, I think there's a couple of great fine madness spots in there. Let that one shoot. This is Sean. I remember one day sitting in the in a hotel lobby with Sean Connery, who was at that time uh, really very hot because he had just finished the Bond series. And uh, we were talking about the village. He had never really seen the village. And he was playing a kind of a pseudo-hip character down in the village. And a lot of these spots came to my mind uh, when we were talking. You know, I could see what I was going to do. Here's, here's one of the fine madness spots hidden there. sordid tale of jealousy and vice. Oh, it is a cruel, cruel world. Hey, that's not bad. Our hero pursued onto a couch by a luscious secretary against his will. Okay, <laughs> you've had enough of that. <laughs> and so you see, friends, there's more to life than cabbages and kings. There's residuals. There's a repeat residuals, and then there's what they call residual series, and then there's sectional and regional residual series. So there's many things under this arcing sun that stands high above us like an old penny, an ancient bronze penny from a forgotten dynasty of old Egypt. Bring it up there big there. Yeah. <laughs> so put your hand in mine, and we shall wander down the... Uh, the old pathways down towards the silver screen, smelling the aroma of lost and gone popcorn of last and totally, totally forgotten epics. Ah, but the echo remains. The echo remains. Rain, 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 rain. Well, listen, I'm going to be on the Barry Faba show. Oh, Barry, tomorrow at 7.15 p.m. Speaking of the old echo that never dies. That's tomorrow at 7.15. Barry Farber. What do you mean, what station, you smart guy? You can see why those two pictures disappeared without a trace. W.O.R. New York. Is Lester in there or John? Lester Smith in the news next. The news in detail on the hour from the W.O.R. newsroom. Dean Acheson, who was President Truman's Secretary of State, helped form the North Atlantic Treaty Organization in 1949, died tonight at his home in Sandy Springs, Maryland. Acheson was 78. Relatives said cause of death not yet determined. He was Secretary of State from 1949 to 53. During those years, Acheson assumed the tough policy toward the Soviet Union's expansion of influence and control in Europe. He backed a strong continuance of the Marshall Plan to help America's European allies in World War II recover during the post-war years. 
and he played a role in Washington's alliance with Greece and Turkey. Domestically, Atchison was fiercely attacked by anti-communists for his personal friendship with Alger Hiss, the State Department official who was jailed for perjury after he swore before a congressional committee that he was not a communist. But Atchison refused to disavow his friendship with Hiss. And then up to his death, Atchison had been in private law practice in Washington. President Nixon, upon hearing of Atchison's death, said the nation, the Western alliance in the world, all share in the loss of one of their staunchest champions. North Vietnam's troops are still attacking Allied forces along the Cambodian-South Vietnamese border. Early Wednesday, a dozen Allied posts were hit by rocket and mortar fire. Casualties among Allied forces were described by the United States military command in Saigon as light. One of the posts under fire was Firebase Pace, where five United States soldiers threatened last Saturday not to go out on a night patrol. In the latest enemy shelling, several American soldiers were reported wounded. Various groups have planned rallies, speeches, and marches tomorrow to protest United States' involvement in the Indochina War. College campuses in New York will have their public demonstrations. In Manhattan's Garment Center, Mayor Lindsay will speak. Bronx Borough President Robert Abrams will address a rally on the steps of the Bronx County Building. In Los Angeles today, a jury found Charles Tex Watson guilty of seven counts of first-degree murder. Watson thus became the last of four defendants to be convicted in the August 1969 slayings of actress Taryn Sharon Tate and six guests at her home. Watson testified that Charles Manson had ordered him to carry out the slayings. Grounding orders have been issued for every one of the United States Air Force multi-million dollar C-5 transport aircraft. That means that 47 C-5s will not be allowed in the air because of cracks found in an engine mount in one transport at the Charleston Air Force Base in South Carolina, as well as more structural problems in 18 others. Last week, an engine broke off from a C-5 wing as the huge transport was preparing to take off. We'll have more news after this. The Darlington Inn has a gorgeous 18-hole championship golf course, indoor-outdoor swimming pools, tennis courts, horseback riding, archery, fishing, even croquet. We have a playground and special counselors for the kids. And since we're so close to the Pennsylvania Dutch Amish country, you can do marvelous.